Hey, it's me, WWE Hall of Famer from the LOD, Road Warrior Animal. And who are you? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta do this when? Now? I'm watching a match! W what is now? Now is it? Oh, now. Yeah, thanks. Hey, this is the Pharaoh from Monty and the Pharaoh. I just want to say thank you to our subscribers as we now have hit the 10,000 plateau. Thank you to all our subscribers out there. But I'm going to ask our subscribers to take the next step for us and become a full-fledged YouTube Monty and the Pharaoh member. Yes, that's right, folks. You can check it out. We've got three different levels. Uh, there's free shirts. There's free autographs. There's all sorts of perks for our members. There is nothing more we enjoy than giving you this program. And to do that, we need your support and we appreciate your support. This is Jimmy Farrow, and don't forget to check out Monty and the Farrow every Thursday from Indie Music TV and on Cablevision here locally in New York, Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast, Monty and the Farrow. Later. Is that good enough for you? Can I finish this? Lesnar's killing him. I'm pissed. Welcome back to Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast, Monty DeFaro, only seen here out of Indie Music TV, straight out of Ron Konkuma, Long Island. And it doesn't get much bigger than this, nope. as we've got one of the greatest pro wrestlers in the history of yep. pro wrestling in the studio. Yep. Uh, coming off a pretty rocking day, pretty stressful, Farrell. What would you think of the Abdullah the Butcher interview? Oh, Abdullah's a freaking legend. Abdullah's hilarious. Abdullah's insightful. Abdullah's Abdullah. He's one in a billion. It was great. It's great. He was, he, was, he was pretty good. He was fantastic. And he didn't cut me with the fork, so it's been a good day. So I know the fans are very excited about this uh, this interview coming up, and we all know that you know we just don't give you your stupid ass you know, shoot straight interview like, hey, Rob, w what was it like putting an armbar on John Cena in 1997? <laughs> uh, you know, it's kind of not like our thing. No. But anyway, before we get to this legend, uh, I got to tell you, this yeah. is a big time for this, this show right now. Yeah. You know, Backlund in studio is huge. Yes. Right? I don't think it gets much bigger than this, though. The great Bob Backlund. Scott oh. Hall was huge. Yes, that was huge, too. Anyway, uh, in honor of Rob, uh, I was... We didn't get to talk about 9-11 and remembering the uh, the people who lost their lives. We didn't have a chance with all the shows and everything that's been going on. And okay. since our civil liberties have been taken away from us on a particular channel, it's even caused more of a problem. Sure. But anyway, sure. uh, the WWE on the Peacock Network released a uh, remembering the patriotic smackdown of 9-11 where Vince McMahon puts together... Uh, 
you know, probably the first sporting event returning off of that. It was hard situation. It was the first event post nine eleven. Yep, yep. And thoughts on Vince and what he did for this country at that time? Well, you know, as usual, and I am a huge backer of Vince McMahon. I, I grew up watching Vince McMahon's products and watching Vince McMahon's father's product. Uh, I thought that, as usual, Vince McMahon stepped up to the plate after 9-11, uh, made a great speech, very inspiring speech, you know. And Vince McMahon is another one who's one of a kind. One of a kind. Hey, I think there's a song in there somewhere. Look at you playing into that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just a great moment, and uh, it's, it's guys like Vince who made sure that the, the wheel kept, kept rolling. Hmm. You know, I thought it was a, a great moment. Uh, his speech was incredible. Anyway, you know, once we get out of commercial break, we'll ask Rob about that and uh, sure. quite a few other things. But sure. anyway, I'd like to thank the band that sings the theme song for Monty and the Farrell, our own Jimmy Farrell, along with his partner, Bart Griggs. Make up the band to Wisteria Hall. Wisteria Hall sings such great songs as In My Dreams. This Life Not Far Behind, Here Comes the Rain. You can find their music on the Wisteria Hall YouTube page, Spotify, Apple Music, and download their music from Reverb Nation. In case you didn't know it, you are watching Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast, and you can catch this great show on the Monty and Afaro YouTube page after we come off suspension. <laughs> I'm going to keep saying it because, again, my civil liberties have been denied. attacked and denied. Denied. And being a former veteran of this country, I do, and my wife will correct me when I say person. veteran, oh, well. um, I don't appreciate that one bit. Nor should you. Catch the Monty and the Faro on the Facebook Live page. Here's on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Anchor. Catch us on the Monty and the Faro Twitch TV page. Also, if you live in New York, catch us on New York Cable every third Tuesday, I'm sorry, from 7 p.m. to 7.30 on Channel 115, mm -hmm. which has been changed to 9.30 prime time because of the great following we have of the show and for early risers, 6 a.m. to 6.30. Also, catch us on Late Night Channel 20 from 2 a.m. to 2.30. We're going to get right to this with Hall of Famer, pro wrestling great. Oh, yeah unbelievable, probably a damn good human being, Mr. Rob Van Dam. We shall return. Wrestling fans, now you too can look as cool as Monty and the Pharaoh by wearing the official Monty and the Pharaoh sunglasses at night for $8.99 each. That's only $8.99 each. Now available at MontyandthePharaoh.com. Elm Logistics, for all your logistic needs, call 631 Two nine nine three five nine five. That's six three one two nine nine three five nine five. Elm Global Logistics. Pride, performance, and partnerships. And Nitro's Garage for all your automotive needs. Call 646-675-2349. That's 646-675-2349. For all your automotive needs, Nitro's Garage. Ask for Jack. All right, welcome back to Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast, Monty Nefaro, filmed and produced out of indie music TV in Ronkonkoma, Long Island, where we have... Mr. Rob Van Dam. Rob, thank you for joining us. Unbelievable. Right on, guys. Rob, I don't know where you stand with Vince McMahon. I, I, I believe you were part of that 9-11 show um, that when you guys came back. Do you have any thoughts or any remembrances about that show? Yes, I was, actually, and I do. Um, 
they were just filming, you know, when they were here, or not here. I live in Las Vegas. I forgot I'm not home right now. But when SummerSlam was in Las Vegas, uh, they were doing a documentary on the first show after the tragedy and I was booked on it and then I don't know what happened a couple days before and they said oh um sorry we're, we're not going to be doing that and then I see they're doing the show anyway so I guess I got knocked off um probably you know with the with the COVID everything changed they're trying to have as few people in the building at all times I didn't even go to SummerSlam. I wanted to, but it was because of that, you know. But, but so, so it's cool to be asked about that because I was looking forward to being on the show um, and talking about that. It was, it was a hell of a time that I won't forget, you know. Um, for me, I was traveling with Mike Awesome, and um, and we were in San Antonio the night before. I had a hookup with the Marriott big buffet suite room you know i had a hookup uh for both of us um mike called me in the morning and uh rob turn on the tv we're under attack you know and i and i turned it on and i was trying to figure out what was going on and i saw the uh i guess it was the second tower going down and we were both like whoa you know what's going on but we had no idea how big that was at the time you know i mean i guess we're so used to like dealing with it rolling with the punches you know like uh i mean that's what you have to do in general but this was something that affected the whole world way more than we realized we ended up checking out uh driving all the way to houston where the show was supposed to be that night and then of course the show was canceled and then we were stranded in houston for for the rest of the week um we would have definitely rather been trapped in san antonio with the suite hookup that I had and everything uh <clears throat> but we didn't know and man we were we were all stuck at the at the same hotel in Houston uh, a bunch of the the wrestlers hanging out by the pool you know frequenting the same restaurants or whatever and we were kind of like just in a holding pattern you know uh, when we ended up having the show um you know a few days 3 4 days later whatever it was I don't remember exactly my thought was, uh, no, like the very first live attended show after the attack, what better place to send a message to America than blowing up an arena full of wrestling fans? I mean, what, what, what's more American than that in WWE? So live, live, you know, so I thought I was i was concerned i thought that was a, there was a good chance we were going to be attacked again right there live everyone's going to watch you know thousands of people uh dying whatever um but you know we did the show and uh afterwards we were still afraid to fly though you know and uh teddy long was the first one to fly out that i knew about and i remember you know like we couldn't wait to call him when he got home you know how was it you know you made it all the way i thought he was crazy for flying i really did you know and he was like hey first first flight available i could get on and i was just like man i don't know um i i drove i was with my uh, evil ex at the time who had some uh relatives in oklahoma and uh, we ended up you know driving out of there but for the longest time it was very very um scary it was it made you so aware to go through the the process of of traveling via airplane after that and we all talked about it. i remember <clears throat> having a conversation with lance storm we were just talking about our own perspectives and he was saying 
at that time that every time he leaves the house, he kisses his kids goodbye and his wife goodbye like he might not see him again. Mm-hmm. Like that's how much we were committed to the business and, and to our life. We felt like, hey, this is life as we know it, so we're going to continue on. And if, you know, if my plane doesn't make it to his destination tonight, you know, damn, I don't want that to happen. But if that's if that's the way the story goes, that's what happens because we are wrestlers, you know, then then that was something that we were going to have to face. And we all thought every time we got on an airplane, we might be facing it. And we eyeballed anybody with a towel on their head or anybody with, you know, skin color that was a little dark. It was always like, okay, I'm going to sleep with one eye open just in case, you know, because we didn't know. We were all like... Uh, involved in the hype, and, and obviously that was a crazy, crazy, terrible thing that happened. Well, I got to tell you, I love the honesty, right? Because someone could just say, hey, look, I knew I had to do this, and I had to whatever, but, you know, obviously everybody was fearful. I was flying at that time, too, it, and I had the same problems, right, looking and eyeballing people that you thought yeah. might be weird. And yep. um, What did you think about Vince McMahon Jr. and his addressing the United States and his commitment to getting everything back to normal? Um, Respect. Respect for Vince. I think that uh, he's a great leader, you know, and um, I would definitely not be qualified to be in his position to make decisions. Uh, I mean, you know, obviously he gets a lot of heat. A lot of people throw the weight on him for what happens with a lot of individual wrestlers and their lives that's the position that he's in you know i i wouldn't even want to be in a position where i got to hire and fire people you know that for me being the the most zenful person that you see out there that's because my i think my lifestyle is extreme in mellow conditions you know in a way that normal people can't understand because normal people have way more stress in their normal lives whether it's your job your kids your your significant other you fight you know traffic whatever uh people live with stress and for me that's like my my spiritual goal is to be on the lookout for stress find it deal with it immediately get rid of it if i can i mean that's that's uh not easy to explain but just to show you my perspective i can't imagine uh being in another position besides the one i'm in you know this one's great for me i got my own values that work for me everybody does everyone has their own perspective on life and they they hold others at fault because other people have other values but you don't judge people by their own values you judge them by your values that's why people can't understand each other Mm. if everyone knew that i think it'd be a lot easier to understand and then you could just uh, not put as much energy into it you know um this man is uh is the leader is the most important uh man that i know i'm very uh you know very happy to have a good relationship with him and to go up there and uh and say hey you know what um america needs to be entertained america has been crying for days and uh and we're not forgetting what we lost who we lost we're just uh taking a break uh, a break because you know when bad things happen we a lot of us tend to feel entitled to misery and sometimes we can't kick out of it and mm. you just stay there and then you feel like i don't deserve to feel good you know I, this is where i should be but the truth is eventually you know when the time is right for you uh, to move on and see what else is in your path um you got to be equipped to do it and part of that requires a balance you know it's okay to uh, take a break 
from being miserable uh, and being depressed, uh, it might be good for your mind to do something healthy, uh, whether it's laugh at something funny, whether it's uh, watch wrestling and cheer for your favorites. Um, you know, if it's a walk in the in the park, whatever it is for you, you got to have your your go-tos that you know bring you up and increase your spiritual vibration and and you also have to realize that you do deserve that do you feel like you've achieved balance in your life absolutely i do but i'm always learning uh i'm you know i'm not perfect none of us are but the strive for perfection is what keeps me going that's what keeps me trying to get better trying to learn more trying to improve my flaws my faults and that's like uh that's the constant drive for me and i gotta say i'm 50 years old i wouldn't even go back to 40 because i'm such a better person now i know so much more and i have so much better control of my life so do you know the point where you feel like you reached that balance in your life? Like what age was it? Or what clicked in your mind that you got that balance? I think that it's always been a, a steady, progressive uh, kind of movement. You know, I don't think that I just like crossed a line one day and then had like a different perception. You know, like when I was young uh, and into martial arts, you know, I was taught a couple of different ways to meditate and what you can get out of that. And, uh, and along with that, you know, comes the positive energy, the Zen spirit. That was all um, very appealing to me to, to, to bring in, but that's because my default vibration was consistent with that. You know, they, they work together. My parents will, uh, would always say that when I was young, I wasn't really dramatic. I was one to stay inside my head and keep my feelings to myself, you know, and I laugh if it's funny, but I don't give the obligatory laugh that people do just to keep the communication going. To me, I feel like I'm above that. And, and, I, and not always, but studying life now, I do. Now I see, okay, that's why I do that. That's why I don't do that. But it was always for me, you know, um, going in the same direction. I always feel like I had people tell me that they got positive vibes off me. Even when I wasn't doing so good like there's times when i've been in the ring live on tv suffering in my head going through all kinds of stuff with my dad sick on his way out the the marriage you know going to hell all kinds of stuff going on and sometimes i mean usually you can take a break from that and get in the mind and focus and wrestle sometimes i'd be in the ring looking at the people live on monday night raw and these thoughts would be in my head and i'd be saying well you know just smile you know tap into the moment, whatever. And I would have people that know me, that are friends of mine say, oh, I could tell you were so happy in the ring tonight. It feels so good to know you're enjoying yourself. I'd be like, really? <laughs> and I came to own that and I think that's good and that is the way that I want to be seen. You know, I don't want to share uh, bad energy. That's, I know the way the world works, you know, and karma's a real thing. You put out good energy, it does come back to you same with bad energy and i know a lot of people that have the opposite view on life some of them i can't seem to help they have a, a you know they, they have a reason for everything i can try to tell them uh about why what they're doing is going to lead to negative uh solutions reactions but they're victims and they'll tell you why you know, I can't do this. This is why I can't do this. You know that this this will I tried to do this and this didn't work. And that's that's really just a state of mind. It's a perspective. I wouldn't recommend it. I think, you know, um, 
life is an experiment and you either experiment yourself or you get those results from communicating with other people reading about it whatever uh but you know boom you're born you go through this and then you know and then and then you're done so why not open yourself up to experience what you want to experience in life um i mean i don't want to oversimplify it because i know we all have our own conditions and such but the mindset and the and the ability to control your mindset is something i think we all share well said well said how much i'm just curious how much of your philosophy spilled over into your on-screen character and does your philosophies help your on-screen character i would say that my philosophies are in everything that i do so it must uh whether it's an aid or hindrance it is what it is you know and uh, sometimes it could be either you know and there there was a lot of times where uh wrestling promoters want to see me angry particularly in wwe so many talks where um we need to see an angry RVD, you know, like rip your ponytail out and be like, like we've never seen you really mad. And they really thought there's money in that. And I always thought you, it not only is that (laughs) not me, but you got everybody else here who it is that right. I'm almost, I'm almost convinced now at 50 by studying, looking at wrestling posters and pictures. I think that 95% of the the wrestlers get in the business so they can have a photo going ah! uh, I thought one of the greatest things you ever did was when you go like this it's amazing <laughs> well, but it's, it's natural right and a lot of times I gotta fight to be myself which has been documented you know mm-hmm. um, and, and I look back at sometimes and maybe I could have been a little more flexible you know I've I've always been a, uh, ahead of my time, but in some ways I can say I always probably thought that I knew a lot more than I did. And I think that's probably true with all of us when we look back, you know, 20s, 30s. Now, when I look back, I was such a baby in my 20s. Like, I was so young. When I try to think about the mindset I was in, people want to know what, you know, hey, what was it like when you were in WCW working with this guy? I was like, I was a baby. I was 21. How would I have noticed Mm -hmm. anything going on behind the scenes? Just like anybody else. You're just doing your thing and you're you're learning your way through it. So being as like peaceful as you seem to be with all the civil unrest in this country and all this disease going on in the country, how does that affect Rob Van Dam? Well, I mean, it's the world I live in. You know, it affects me in a way where inside I, I, I feel like I could help people. I do. And um, I feel a little bit of obligation to that because, like, whenever I do give, like, a speech, even this, some people are going to hear this and they're going to comment, like, one particular thing I said that really reached to them. I get that every time, and that means so much to me, you know? Someone will just say, hey, when you said that about, you know, getting hurt but getting right back into it and trying it again, and, man, that really – dude, that's that's great because uh, I have a lot of experience, and I also have – studied life for a long time but we're all attracted towards different things in life so we have these affinities and we all pay attention to different things in life you know so a lot of the stuff that I paid attention to while other people were there's a lot that I don't pay attention to that's that's 
I'm one of a kind. People know I'm unique. What you don't know is there's so many things that we don't have in common. You know, I know nothing about sports or about cars, uh, for instance. You know, I can't have a conversation about the the Mets game or, or whatever. I, I know nothing about that. Um, I never learned how to dress nice and buy fancy stuff to try to get the girls you know what i mean so i resented like the kids in school that had the money to do that because right. they got the girls but i never you know instead i just you know was trying to convince myself that the that my way was cool too and everyone would come around you know while adapting learning throughout time adjusting to get better um so i mean i'm concerned I, i'm very concerned with what's going on in afghanistan you know and especially putting the history behind it and then thinking like okay so now what um and i know people you know that were over there that are really affected by um, all their effort you know now seeming to go up and smoke um it's it's very uh concerning but i tend to for my spiritual purposes surround myself with positivity you know if there's something that's stressing me out i think everybody knows my vibe is different you know matter of fact one story i've told this a few times but i think maybe it'll be relevant and help explain i was gonna do a run-in on chris jericho who was the champion at the time in wwe and everybody all the agents were telling me all day they wanted to see me mad grr you know whatever he did i don't know we had something going on and uh, they wanted me to run in i'm gonna beat the shit out of him boom 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 bam splash him make my own count one two three hold the belt up yeah throw the belt on him and get out of there right which would have been really cool for me and my character and to, and, and to be in that position but everybody was just driving me nuts all day just just think about something that really makes you mad you know just just think about that i, was like, I got it i got it i'm a fucking professional i can I'll be angry. I won't smile. But they were so into it. And right in Gorilla, before we went out there, Jericho said something to him before he went out there. And I already, at this time, like, was having um, issues um, adapting to the politics there, which Jericho had already been familiar with. So wrestling Jericho, a lot of things at that time, you know, uh, when he was talking to me, he sounded like office talking to me. And I'd be like, we had a, we butted heads a lot, you know, at that time. It was stressful. Um, it's a whole different stage up there, politics and everything. It really is. So anyway, right before uh, he goes out there, Chris says to me, he says, just, you know, act, pretend like I hit on your wife. <laughs> okay. The fuck kind of thing is that? And he went out there and <laughs> I got, it was like the last straw. I was so mad. I was so stint. I went out there, hit him in the face, hard, hard. You know what I mean? Bam, bam, bam. He went down. I, I think I splashed him. I, I grabbed the belt. I forgot to even do the cover or anything. I threw the belt or something. I went. I left. I went to the dressing room, grabbed my bags, threw everything together. I was so pissed. I didn't calm down until the next day. I had to leave. I couldn't even be around anybody. And I tend to have more of an even keel of my energy. And Katie will say this too. Like she doesn't fight with me because she says this all the time because if she gets me mad, she knows that it's going to be for days. Like I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. A lot of people have, most people have 
everybody has a wider range than I do. But I see people get mad and come down, mad, you know, um, yell at your kids, and then the next day you're talking to someone else, or the moment, I mean, and you're calm, and it's like, for me, I, for me, I can't do that. You know, I, I, I like to be in the mode where I can grow the most, and that is for me to be, uh, to stay inside my head mostly, you know, fake my thoughts up there instead of think about what I'm saying as I'm saying it and then regret it later. You know, someone, someone said something, uh, you might have heard this expression or something about it's sometimes it's better to uh, keep your mouth shut and have people think you're an idiot than open your mouth and prove it. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of people, I think, talk way too much or they're way too loud or whatever. And you know what? It doesn't make me hate them, but I consciously notice, you know what? I'd be a little more, my vibration would be more comfortable if I wasn't by this person. You right. know, I'm going to, I'm not going to hang around them as much anymore. I'm going to go to the other side of the room or whatever, because um, really like if you're completely alone by yourself, your spiritual vibration is so much different than even having a camera on you. And sometimes mm -hmm. you notice, sometimes you don't. If you're being observed, like plants, if they're being observed, they allegedly grow different than if they're out in the wild. Just that factor of, of somebody else being in there. But yeah, you act different if you think you're being watched. You uh, you have obligatory uh, consideration when someone's talking to you to act like you're interested or um, or to, mm-hmm, oh yeah? You know, even if you're bored to death. There's, there's, there's so much of that that I try and keep most of that to a minimum where I see other people, that's all they got. Everything is just bullshit. Incredible, man. We'll be right back with... Mr. Rob Van Dam. Hi, it's Josh from Under the Table Hot Sauce. I'm here with my friend, the star of the show, Jimmy Farrow. Yeah, what's up, JB? Nah, nothing. It's been a hot summer, and for all your barbecue needs, you can go to UndertheTableHotSauce.com. 13 unique flavors to choose from, created and bottled in a Long Island kitchen. UndertheTableHotSauce.com. Let's go chow, JB. Let's do it. All the flavor... Twice the burn. M&J Video Games and Collectibles. Sport and non-sport cards, wrestling items, autographed items. We buy, sell, and trade. M&J Video Games and Collectibles, located at 1049 Queen Street, Southington, Connecticut. Call us at 1-860-479-9223 or... 860-93-GAMES. M&J, video games and collectibles. All right, welcome back to Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast, Monty Nefaro, filmed out of indie music TV in Long Island, where we have the honor and the privilege to have in studio Hall of Famer, ECW great, overall great guy, Mr. Rob Van Dam. RVD, I got to ask you. Actually, I want to thank you. Wow, check out that bicep over there, bro. I actually want to thank you very much <laughs> for being a spokesman for marijuana. Thank you very much. Um, yep. Of course, the way Mike wrote this, you were not really a man who conformed to society. Is that uh, because he likes to uh, smoke weed? No, it's, I'm just it's asking. factual. I'm just asking. Rob, would it be fair to say that you go to your own drum, you don't take leadership? There you go. Uh, you know, to a certain, you live your life, right? Uh, that's that. That's completely true and not yeah. foreign to my ears. But I don't know. I'm not sure about uh, that. I don't take leadership. He acknowledges you know? leadership. 
Yeah, I, se I selectively consider anything that comes in, and then you know, hey, is this gonna is this good or bad? You know, right. just something. Hey, that's interesting. Should I apply that to my life? Or does that sound like something that's you know complete BS? And but I do that. What a you ever catch? I'm sorry. You ever catch you like when you're younger? What you're saying isn't even your thoughts. It's what your parents taught you. You know. Well, that's true. my that's point true. about conforming to society, right? Sure. Because people are directing you one way, and you. Said, hold on, I'm going to yeah. segregate this, segment it. I'm going to take what I want to do, and I'm going to yeah. do what I want to do. Right. right? You even said, yeah. really not a sports guy, not a car guy. I'm sure growing up, people not are playing Not a music guy. Who do you know that doesn't know music? There You're you not a music guy? I'm not a music guy. People always want to know because I came out to walk. Such a cool song. People always want to know, like, what do you listen to? So when you smoke, I just got to know, when you smoke, do you just... Does it become a Zen thing? I, what do you do? What does Rob Van Dam do after a good spliff? Well, see, the thing is that <laughs> I, I actually smoke like all day long. So whatever I do, I do okay. after I smoke. Interesting. You know what I mean? I wait. Okay. I wake and bake. I'm on the computer. Wake and bake. My brain's. And you're a big up. mafia guy, right? You like the mafia. I, that's my go-to. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, I will keep that separate and not try to do business with it. You know, because it's my go-to. But I. I read a ridiculous amount of uh, mafia um, every every week. It's uh, on my, I read it every night on my Kindle. I watch documentaries on YouTube, and and don't don't come up and say, "Hey, have you ever heard of so and so?" Yes, I have. I mean, I've whatever it is, I've seen it uh, probably several times. I'm not saying I know everything, but when 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 fans you know come up, you know, did you ever hear of Richard Kuklinski? I mean, I'm 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 on a different level. Um, and it's maybe a bit of an obsession, but it's my go-to. It's like, I think I've always kind of like been like uh, single track minded and focused on one thing. When I was really young, it was, uh, I liked monsters when I was really young. That's one of the first things I can remember. Comic books. All right, real quick. I don't mean to cut you off. King yeah. Kong or Godzilla? You better Let's say Godzilla. Let's settle this right now. I am, Godzilla. I am so surprised that the... Stop uh, leading the witness. The Godzilla <laughs> Godzilla versus Kong was not the classic movie that I thought it was going to be. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Wait a second. Thank you. Who you answer it, though? Godzilla or King Kong? Um... Ooh, Who I do guess, you like more? I guess I'm going to lean towards Kong. Thank you. That's a true American right really, there. You know, you're not really American unless you to, stick with this Kong. Is what Godzilla, is this didn't, gotta, Godzilla didn't really know who he was. Every movie he came out with, his fire was different. Like, one time it's like a, a red laser. Next time it looks like Colgate toothpaste. Like, <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Very good. So there's nothing about, like, a fire-breathing dinosaur no, roasting like a his, monkey? I like them both. They're really cool. I just, He's I just a Kong to, guy, dude. I've been told my whole life that um, I might be a little closer to the... To the uh, ape, then uh, than my fellow. Uh, Katie tells me all the time that I'm built like a um, like a gorilla. Or like a gorilla. So interesting. There you go. Maybe that's what. What, it is. what what you know? I find it interesting too. You got the Zen thing, but you're fascinated with mafia. What 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 causes the mafia obsession? I, I, well, I would guess, as I was saying, comic books, uh, Greek mythology. Okay. Uh, I got into Hollywood history. That got me into. Mafia history. I, I'm guessing part of it is probably the characters, you know, but also it's just such a different life. Like, mm. if I uh, am driving and, God forbid, like a, a a cat ran out in front of me and I hit the cat, that would just ruin my day. Yeah. I mean, I'd be bawling. I'd feel yeah. so bad. Yeah. And to know these guys that'll walk their best friend into the bar. Hang out with them all night, you know, and then like shoot them in the head. Like that's, it's fascinating in a way that I don't want to know what it's like. Yeah, sure, you know, wow. sure, sure. It is fascinating that disconnect, right? It's yeah. it is uh, it is fascinating. 
Listen, Rob, I want to know about your mom and dad. Tell me, I know your dad has passed. I don't know if your mom is still with us. She um, is. Can you tell us about both of them? Uh, I had great parents. You know, I came from a uh, family of, uh, kind of a big family, because it was five of us, three kids. Um, so I think about my dad on his income, feeding uh, three kids and, and a wife and keeping the bills going and, and you know, with a regular job. And it's like, it's amazing. I think that helped me want to make more money, but also to indulge a lot more, you know what I mean? Because like he, you know, he was, he was born like right after the, de the depression was ending, you know, and he was like in that area. And he's like, uh, he, I'm glad that he taught me the value of a dollar. First, first job I remember getting paid for um, was, cause you know, my brother would cut the grass, my sister would do whatever. When I was little, I would bring the paper and the newspaper from the newspaper box by the road, bring it in every day, and I got like a dime a week, you know, and I worked my way up from there. Even though other kids were getting like five bucks or 10 bucks because they had rich parents, shovel in the driveway or whatever, and be like, what, you're lucky. But I, the value that he, that he put in me, I think is is great. And, it, and also like, I, you know, it, no, no divorces, just a nuclear family, you know, a lot of love, kind of a leave it to beaver kind of upbringing, you know, okay. like I, I really had a good a good childhood. Um, for some reason, I never wanted to recreate that though. Like mm -hmm. I wanted to venture out, you know, and instead of trying to build like a, my own, you know, little family and take care of them, like I wanted to be, you know, out at the, hitting the strip clubs every night and drinking and, and whatever. And, you know, and, and even at 50, like I don't want to recreate what I had. I kind of feel like, like, like it was so good that I, don't, I think, I don't know, I, I wonder a lot of times why my peers who have these paternal drives and they, they can't wait to have kids. Like, I wonder, like, are they, like, reliving through their, their through their child vicariously mm. and putting them through the steps they just went through? Because I'm not done with those steps yet, you know mm. what I mean? Like, it seems like, uh, it seems like quite a while ago that I graduated high school, but if you talk about ECW or something, that doesn't seem like that long ago. It really doesn't. Like, I'm not... Um, I can't imagine how old I would feel if I had a 32-year-old son. Yeah, sure. Like some of my peers, I can't mm. imagine. Like that's that's another thing where I say, uh, to be me, there's a lot of qualifications that other people, you know, can't have. Just that I've, you know, that I've managed to balance everything out for me right now. You know, like Katie wants a family later and stuff, and you know. We, her and I have like this amazing love and amazing bond, you know, then, you know, she can talk me into uh, doing something, but I don't have that drive. I've never wanted to be in my dad's position. Speaking of your dad, how did his passing affect you? <sighs> it was pretty rough. Um, it wasn't like it was a complete surprise because, you know, he was sick and going, going downhill. He had, you know, some heart conditions. He had a stroke. He had another stroke. And like for the last... Mm, well, I don't know, year, year and a half of his life, he he was trying to get partial paralysis back from uh, um, from the stroke with therapy and all this. So it was really hard, and then he'd get sick, and he'd go in, and then while he's there, he'd get infected. And so, you know, when he finally uh, passed, um, it, it wasn't a huge surprise, but, um, but you know, losing your dad's not easy. So it was, uh, it, it messed with my head and it, and it also hit me in a time in my life. And this is, I'm glad you brought this up. One thing that I've learned that I wish people would get 
from anything I said today, when you get broken down, you have to think about this. You got to get back to this. You got to rebuild yourself quickly so you can be ready for the next blow that's going to come. Because that's how life is. It's not just one thing. It's never just one thing. And so, you know, the marriage went south, which right now I'm so glad that I'm not in that marriage anymore. I had no idea how happy I could be. I thought I was happy. And for a 27-year-old, that was the happiest I'd been. But now when I look back at all the, the mistrust and the, the fights that were and the needless stress, and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so glad that uh, my evil ex had the, the, the sense to, to get away. I couldn't have grown, you know. Like, I, I'm still, like, I can't believe people... Uh, when I see them now, I can't believe some of the conversations I might have had with them 20 years ago just because I was like, oh, you know, I can't let, if a good-looking girl comes in the room, my wife, you know, she's going to be looking at me like, does she notice that? She was so insecure. This sounds familiar. Dude, does sound familiar. this is this another thing I'm talking familiar. about. Everybody can relate. Not everybody has the freedom in the life that I do. So but, I, can't, I can't say just be me because how many guys listening have insecure yeah. or women? You know, I mean, that's. But in a way, she did you a favor, right? Because she got out of it. She didn't want to be part of it anymore. And then that same gave you the opportunity to grow into your life. I looked at it as a failure at the time, you know, and grieved about it. I never wanted that. A lot of that was preset notions. That was put in my head. When you get married, you stay together. You know what I mean? And and there's so many preset notions um, that that I could have done better without, you know. So part of getting to where I'm at is reprogramming yourself. But before I get to that, I just want to say about my dad, uh, his death hit like, boom, marriage went down. Uh, Now I'm in this big house, cold house by myself, depressed. Um, And then, you know, and I'm like, oh, my God, you know, I'm so weak. What if my dad dies? And I knew it was going to happen, but I prepared myself to be totally fucked by it. You know, Mm. like I'm going to I'm not going to be able to handle that. So it was very hard. And then my dog died. And then it was just like, you, you have to, you got to remember, there's another wave coming. So deal with it. You know, everyone, it's okay. to You are allowed a time to grieve and all that. But I'm saying, get your strength back because, you know, you just got punched in the face. But get your guard back up because you're going to get punched again. When it comes to reprogramming myself, um, there, there's a, a few books that I read that really helped me when I was really getting into building my spiritual self, right? Um, one of them was a Celestine Prophecy. I don't know if you guys know, I can tell you guys that anybody that, that's listening that has read the Celestine Prophecy, they know that what I'm saying is true. It's a life-changing book for like-minded people, mm-hmm. for people that believe in that, uh, that, that energy, that's, you know, that vibration, that spiritual um uh, drive that the, the, the drives everything for people like me that have read that it makes you see the world different another one is the four agreements it teaches you to completely reprogram yourself uh, you know they're, they're just four simple agreements and one of them is uh, don't assume that's so hard to do throughout the day but if you practice uh, you know it, it's just like oh so-and-so's not here oh he had something better to do than this you don't know that yeah you have no idea so why make shit up, you know? But everybody does. It's natural for us. But so you repro- So instead of everything you've run up to that point that's got you set up for things to happen that may or may not happen, you actually can, uh, you can actually reprogram your mind to to see things different, so that you're prepared with a different reaction, and so that it will affect you in a different way than it would have 
with your old programming. So I see on your finger, is that the WWE Hall of Famer? It is. So two-part question. Um, number one, what did that uh, induction to the Hall of Fame mean to Rob Van Dam? And this is kind of a personal thing. I got a little bit of hard-on for Phil Brooks, right? His Who, name is CM Punk. Which... Stop calling him Bill Brooks. I thought you meant Rusty Brooks when you said that. He made the the statement that the uh, Hall of Fame's a Fugazi Hall of Fame and worthless. What are your thoughts on how it meant to you and his comments about the Hall of Fame? I think um, anyone that's not in the Hall of Fame, I feel like I've heard them on YouTube claim, you know, it's not real, it's in Vince's mind because it doesn't exist anywhere because they're not in it. Um, And that's, that's human nature. You always... You always try to find a way to um, to make the situation work for you, even if it really doesn't. You know what I mean? I mean, mm-hmm. that's just like uh, everyone leaves. You know, everyone's going to pile in the van, and they're all going to go party, and you miss the van, right? You're going to be like, I should sleep anyway. I didn't really want to go. <laughs> yeah. Right? Okay. That's, that's human nature. Um, but, but to actually really you know to not know and just to do it because it's a natural thing to do and i'm not saying that he didn't put any thought into it in that situation sometimes you know what it really would be better if i if i slept instead of going and sometimes i really was on the fence about going but the thing is um reality people block reality to to, to put in their own perspective of it that works for them and the the reason i'm so honest to a flaw I don't lie. I mean, I will tell the cop, fuck no, I haven't been drinking. What are you talking about? You know, I mean, if that's, there's a time where if my freedom is at jeopardy or something like that, sure. And I'll joke, you know, or, um, or something, but, but I'm honest because I want reality known, my reality known for, for what's real. And if I'm fucked in my head and my reality isn't right, then, then I want everyone to know. You know what I mean? I've been telling people for years that marijuana is not that dangerous. They have it a Schedule One controlled substance. They have it banned by the federal government along with heroin and acid. But yet, I learned 30 years ago or, or so, um, maybe not quite that long, but I learned about how why all these lies were put out there and what it was really about, and also how many people could really benefit from the use of cannabis and how they're not able to get it so that these evil agendas can step forward. And you start learning like how the government works. But the thing is, if I was to overdose from marijuana and, and die today, I would want everybody to know, oh, guess what, Rob had it wrong. I would want everyone to know because... Uh, that's, we learn from the truth. When you lie, you're changing history. That's that should that should be a uh, that should be a, a sin. It's a sin to me to try to change history, you know, for the perception moving forward, um, because uh, because life's factual. Hmm. It is. I don't know. Um, the Hall of Fame thing meant a lot to me uh, because uh, one, it's it's an honor to be recognized on that uh, on that level. Two, it was a welcoming back to the WWE after being um, maybe considered, you know, redheaded stepchilded, <laughs> you know, whatever that expression is. They mm-hmm. kind of um, and. Um, 
you know, going down in history. And the thing is, I didn't change. I didn't change. I stayed the same. The world came around, and I knew it would. You know, I did this show on Vice. Uh, same time, uh, maybe the week after, the week before, we were doing the Icons, and, and it was about marijuana, and it was about me speaking about marijuana. And and, and the guy, um, Krishna, the, the host, it wanted so bad to get me upset that, that I got suspended and lost the world championship titles back in the day over possession of marijuana. And I don't get upset because I, I told them these are these are steps, you know, like that was that was necessary in order for us to get where we're at now. You know, the soldiers, they had to fall at the beach in Normandy so the other soldiers could get past and whatever. You know, it's hey, I, we're moving forward. That's great. And I wanted so bad uh, to, to tell him. But it was like it was like the day that we ended that interview. Later on, I found out WWE's not even testing for marijuana anymore. Mm. And and I wanted to, him to I wanted to tell him that. But at the same time, I didn't want to sabotage it for WWE. I figured they're not going to make a big announcement because then they'll have haters coming after them, sure. sponsors. So instead, they'll do it quietly because they know that marijuana is actually better for the athletes than than any of the prescription drugs. Um, yeah, but but it, it did get out, so I don't mind talking about it now. Otherwise, I would still keep it on the down low, even though it's a great thing. I wouldn't be telling people that they're not testing for marijuana because I don't want to. I don't want to put any any heat on them. They're going in the right direction. They're they got to keep going that way, and and soon. Soon everyone's gonna learn, and I know this is a this is way too early to tell people and have them accept this. But you are gonna learn that um, your your life expectancy, if you're a cannabis user, is longer than if you're not. You could call it controversial so now. Someday, someday I'm gonna live forever under those circumstances. Well, there you go. You're not bad. Set. Yeah, not bad. Not bad at all. It's 100% true. They did tests. My friend Jack Herr told me about it. Um, when I when I first met him, he was my he was my one of my mentors. People don't know he's real because now his name is a flavor of weed that nobody can pronounce. Yeah, pretty cool. <coughs> but they did a test. Certain people saw the results. The test disappeared. Now it's like a mythical thing. You can you can look it up online and find mm. its mythology. But it completely makes sense to me because everything that hits the body is in the form of stress, and stress is the number one enemy to human health. How many lives do you think might have been saved in this business if marijuana had been offered as a medication for pain instead of the pills that so many have taken in this business? Do you think we would have had some lives saved over the course there's of the no years? There's no question about it. There's, there's no question about it. Um, I'd like to think most, most of the lives. Now, in a, in a real free society, when you can choose marijuana or opiates, or cocaine or alcohol or whatever in a total free society not everyone's going to jump to to one thing you know sure. over the years i can't tell you how many people have told me that they wish they could smoke marijuana but they get tested at their job so because of that they they, they drink you know they go to the bar and they drink after work every night which is way 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 worse for the body way worse for society agreed but, you know, people are just now starting to learn that because the government back in the 30s completely wanted people to not know the truth about cannabis. Right. And I'm not saying it's for everybody, but now uh, it's always been illegal to study the plant. So all we knew about it, THC, it gets you stoned. Now we're actually able to quasi-study it, even though the feds still got to make the change. And we're able to separate. Now there's over 100 cannabinoids in the plant. THC is just one of them. 
And when we're able to separate all of it now, we're able to take CBD and we're able to help so many people. RVD CBD getting, you know, I started that because of, uh, well, I mean, it's all been my path, but I wanted to help, you know, with the, uh, with the mind issues. I'm sick of my peers going through CTE symptoms, depression, either overdosing on purpose or on accident or just killing themselves, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, and I was reading that the world was starting to catch up and learn that CBG could actually regenerate dead brain tissue. I was reading this in a time magazine, the NFL was looking at it. That's what made me want to start my company. Uh, and the feedback that I get is like, it's, it's, it's so great. Like knowing that I'm helping all these people that take the time to write and tell me like my grandfather tried all this other stuff, nothing worked. Now, you know, he's got, he's now he doesn't have as much pain. He's able to take his daily walks again. I mean, that's beautiful. And and so what, I'm going to conform and keep people miserable because that's what everyone else does. Mm. Wow. Keep it away from cancer patients and tell them to add, add powdered milk to their food to try to get extra calories. Come on. Right. That's bullshit. Right. Rob, I wanted to ask you, do we have to go to a break yet? No, you're good. Keep going. I wanted to ask you, and I did mention to you before you got on the air, I feel everybody should be cutting you a check, quite honestly, for the influence that you've had in the ring, especially as what we've seen wrestling develop into over the years. Mike and I call them flippers and flyers, but you were the true, real prototype where it counted. Well, so quick, can I interject Sure, please. So, on the other hand where he's giving you compliments, which I totally agree. You're also maybe to blame for what's going on what? and what's happening to That's the, rest of the wrestling Get him, industry. Rob. Is that fair enough, Rob? Define blame. <laughs> Get him. Uh, define blame. So when I see you, Rob, I say, that's a wrestler. Yeah. When I see you fly and hit somebody, I say, now again, obviously I know that it's scripted, but there's tons of athleticism and there's injuries involved. Fantastic. But when I watch what's happening now where there's a guy that's 150 pounds and 140 pounds and they do a backflip and hit you with their toe and then you fall like you got destroyed, I tend to believe like here's an innovator who changed the business. Everybody took that information and turned it into a clown show. Right. Is that defined enough? Do you get frustrated when you see something that you really turned into an art form and it was beautiful to watch, unbelievable? Seeing what it's become today. And believable, let's keep saying. And very believable. Well, seeing what it's become thing. today. I, I do, and and that's the thing right there. I mean, not to, you know, not to overexpose the business. I still, you know, I, I'm still a little protective, you know, about. Sure. But. Sure. I watch wrestling sometimes, like with Katie, to, to help her out. She's up and come. She's learning, point things out. And what I always notice is that um their their mindset is, is is different the sheik had us in the mindset to where we're competing the whole time and we don't take a break from that we don't take a break from the from the mindset of competing to to help you out you know help keep you balanced with a spot or, or something like that right we didn't do it like even during it if we had to do something we're still competing during it you know what i mean trying to trying to shake the leg or something even if you're whatever and and we really believed it it was it was all about grab them what are you doing anytime one of us was lying down on their back cover them what are you doing cover them you can win it was always about trying to win so we Mm -hmm. would do a move even way before we knew anything about psychology it would be about trying to win that was the first psychology even if it's a body slam cover kick out no one's going to win that but you're trying to you're trying and 
for me, that's the obvious uh, thing that, that it's missing right now. And, and you know, I mean, the, the more everybody uh, talks openly about, uh, about wrestling, you know, I, I kind of feel that wrestling might be going in the way of the uh, police officer career. You know, they're both, they're both, they both someday might be a thing uh, of the past or changed so much. Wow. Yeah, that, that it's not the same anymore. I mean, wow. if you're, I tell Katie this, I, I see the wrestlers and they're, they're almost like a magician saying, see this hat? I'm going to pull a rabbit out of the hat, all right? You don't know the rabbit's already in there. See, I'm going to reach in and you're going to look at, it's going to look empty, right? It looks empty, watch. Here's the rabbit, but really, I just like had it covered and it looked empty. But he was there the whole time. Eventually, people are not going to want to keep paying yeah. to see that, right? Yeah. That's right. That's how I see wrestling going right now. And because of that, it's easy. It's the easiest time out of the history of wrestling for fans to get into the business. Every every really really hardcore fan is only that far away from being in the business anyway. Yeah. Whether they're writing their own newsletter or doing their own shows or or whatever um you almost don't even have to get trained anymore like to um you know to to be universal with what they're doing nowadays i i'm so thankful i had the original chic and that old school mentality um and and that's what you know kept me compatible um even though my stuff was outrageous to some um and and now it's it's going in that in that direction where you know, went from a closed door society where people would get beat up if they went back in the dressing room in my time, mm -hmm. right? To to now where it's like uh, all the building people can can walk through or watch us work out in the daytime in the ring anyway. And uh, everything is, uh, I'm doing like Sammy the Bull does. You know how I said I heard him, I hear him sigh when he does his things. <laughs> That's not a normal thing. I think it's subconscious. <laughs> when I run out of things to say, I go, I don't like it when Sammy does it, so I don't want to, I don't want to do it either. How but. how easy was it <laughs> for you being the trailblazer that you were? You were clearly introducing moves to your opponents that they had probably never seen before. How easy was it for you to get people to want to work with your revolutionary type of style? You did you realize I'm doing things no one's done in the ring before? You no, know, I knew because even before my first match, that was what excited me and my best friend Dango, who's no longer around, but we did everything together. As fans, when we would play wrestle, we were always inventing new moves. Um, and uh, that was always part of it. You know, like uh, be, I was doing the split-legged moonsault before I ever had my first match. And, um, I explain it this way, and I have had, especially when I was younger, I've had people that I'm supposed to work with, and I tell them some of the things I'm going to do. I've had them leave, grab their bag and leave, you mm. know, and that's definitely happened. Sure, but, sure. But, I mean, if you think, you know, if I'm going to hit you with a leg drop, you don't need to know if I'm going to jump up and do a 360 before I hit the leg or if I'm going to do a somersault and hit the leg. You don't need to know that. If I'm going to pick Ray Ray up and do a 420 leg drop, your part's the same. I had to get my stuff in and get around it. That's why, you know, with Stan, was I, did I tell the Stan Hansen story here or was that off camera? That was off camera. You can tell it, please. See if I can make it real quick. He, when I first started wrestling in Japan in 93, 94, um, probably part of 95, Stan, I think he, I think he liked me, but he totally uh, thought that my wrestling, you know, had no place in the business. He was very clear about it. And uh, he was always, we'd be talking 
earlier in the day about a match or whatever. He'd say, oh, he'd called me Claude because of the Van Damme. That was that was always his nickname. He'd say, oh, get Claude in there. Let him funny. let him do his ridiculous things, you know. And <laughs> Sounds let's, like Stan. Let's get me back in here and let me try and make it believable again. And get it. You know, it was always, always like that. And then I wrestled against him one time. And after the match, you know, he says, I – you know, I got to tell you, he said, that that's so different being in the ring with you. Like, I always thought seeing your stuff was silly, but but it, it actually works. Like, you were there one second. And what I did, I gave him a couple shoulders in the corner. I did the backflip, ran at him, kicked him or something. Well, you like that, Stan Hansen? And, uh, and he said, you were there. He goes, you were there one second, and then you just like, and then yep. you were gone. I couldn't see you, and then you appeared again. And, and of course, Stan is blind. But, but the yeah, point is, yeah. I didn't have to tell Stan I was going to do that. And that's that's a big difference in how I got my shit in, you know, um, working around people. And and, uh, and that's how my mind was because I was still competing. If I'm competing with someone, I'm not going to say, you know, hey, will you catch my foot? And then one, two, three, and then you put <laughs> – come on. You know, it was different. Did you ever get injured privately when you were coming up with these new moves? Like, you know, okay, how does one perfect the Van Terminator when no one's looking? I mean, did you like, you know, boing, oh crap, I, I, I didn't quite make it across the ring, let me try this again. How do you go about inventing these moves? Did you ever get injured privately before you presented them publicly? So, um, one thing that'll probably sound weird, because I spent so much time stretching, and it's a very inner experience, I had to build a mind-body connection in order to get results from stretching, uh, and because of all of that i'm able to visualize and i can see my limits in my head i can feel it mm. and I, I know if i can do something or not pretty much you know sometimes i might have to just test something but um but it's like that most of the stuff i i, I feel myself i feel my muscles moving i feel i feel myself jumping all that in my head and and, and i know you know like if uh no that that's too much but specifically with the van terminator that was a um a progression you know there was the van daminator um and then i would throw the chair to fonzie fonzie would hold or fonzie would throw the chair to the guy and then i'd kick him called that a hot potato move and mm -hmm. i started crotching the guy on the rope mm -hmm. jumping off the top rope delivering a flying sidekick when fonzie would hold the chair and i just i had fun with that air and i kept scooting him back further further and i was like i'm making it across the ring <laughs> yeah. so it was you know Boom. Shane ever send you a check for stealing your move? No, he never did. All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We've got about 15 minutes. I want to get Rob's better half in here, Katie Forbes. Hey, All right? Be right back. That's right, folks. Canine Corral for all your dog daycare and overnight care. Call 631-549-1544. That's 631-549-1544. <laughs> oh, what's up, Mike? Hey, Jimmy, what's going on? Yeah, not the much. You know, Jimmy, I love this country. Oh. I love to buy Made in America material. And I love to buy my artwork at TAG, T-A-A-G, Made in America, 14 East Broadway, Port Jefferson, New York, 11717, the shop at the corner. Do you treat your dog as part of the family? <laughs> well, so do we. 
So why not celebrate your pup's birthday with the ultimate party box? Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Party Pup Info, and let us make your pup's party or any celebration perfection. Jimmy, I gotta take a dump. What? No, I mean I need a dumpster. <sighs> well, for all those needs, you need to call Big V Dumpster Rental, Long Island, New York, 631-900-DUMP. Whoa. All right, welcome back to Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast. Monty and Afaro, only seen That's here out of Indie Music TV. Matt, I hope you caught that. Um, Matt, did you catch oh, yeah, All right, yeah. we've got Rob Van Dam's better half, Katie Forbes, in the studio. Thank you for joining hey, us, Katie. Hey, How are you? <laughs> Before we get to you guys oh, and your relationship, real quick question. You mentioned the Sheik. Um, I wanted to know if, Rob, if you had spoken to Sabu and how's he doing considering what he's been going through lately? Sabu is uh, very sad and he's very depressed uh, about losing Jeannie. Um, she was his everything, you know, and uh, I talked to him like pretty much every day via text and uh, I just saw him the other day, and I will see him uh, tomorrow at the ACW Arena, also in Philadelphia. But, you know, he's, he's, he's really sad, and uh, he's dealing with it. He's looking for strength, you know. He's kind of um, kept to himself and doesn't feel like getting out very much right now. And, you know, it's, he's entitled to a grieving period sure uh hopefully he kicks out uh and it is of course horribly sad i mean he yeah. he she she died right you know right in front of him while she was sleeping he saw her you know um and he's very he's very hurt by it but um he's also very strong i mean he's strong because he just keeps going i mean he's he's like a cockroach you know Mm. Sabu is a cockroach. Can, so can I ask you? I don't know that I would be as strong in the same situation. Who is the real Sabu? Because you know he's he's mm. kind of mysterious. You know you hear all these extreme things about him, the rumors and all this nonsense. But you know the man. How, who is Sabu to Rob Van Dam? Mm. Sabu is um, a a guy with a huge, huge heart. Uh, he's overly generous. Um, since I first started riding with him in 1990, if he had $20, he would give $10 to the guy begging for it at the gas station. Literally. And I'm not, I saw him do that. <laughs> and $20 was our payoff at that time in the USWA days. Um, big payoffs. One time I got 15 <laughs> Evansville, Indiana. Hey. So, so this is what I want to know. How did you guys meet? And you guys, like, this looks like real love. So. Oh, uh, so I was thinking about Sabu. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. How did you guys meet? You want to tell the story, baby? Sure. We met in 2016 at the Dallas Comic-Con. And um, he was signing his autograph. And I saw him and walked up and gave him a big hug and neither one of us wanted to let go. Oh. And then I wrote my number down and put it in his bag. All right, wait, wait, Katie, so you go there, 
did you have this in mind? Like, I'm going to find Rob. Is that the plan? And I'm setting the seed. We're going to get this going. Kind of. Because I saw him doing the splits. I was watching ECW like a month before it happened. And I was like, oh, my God, he is so hot. And like I, my mouth dropped. And the people that were around me watching it is the witness to it. Like, I was just like, ooh, when he does those splits, yes. <laughs> you set this up. You're totally into him. I get it. Is there some fear that you just got might get rejected by Rob? Are you just nope. like, I got all this. He ain't rejected shit. This is the wiggle. <laughs> I, I said exactly, if he met me, he would love me. Like, I could feel his vibe through the TV that was, like, match my vibe and... So he, of course, was my number one crush, and I had just told my sister, like, a few days before that he was my number one celebrity crush. So I guess I did kind of um, manifest it, but I didn't expect him to be at that con and signing by me. So, of course, when I saw him, I was like, okay, I got to shoot my shot. Like, I, this is my once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. She totally manifested it. Yeah. Right, so she gives, you get, it, you get the number. Who makes the first call? So you're calling. I had to do all the work. <laughs> wow. She thought I wasn't interested because I didn't uh, talk to her for a couple of days, but I was smashed. I was so hammered. Oh, she was playing the cool guy, like, I'm not calling, she's going to call no, me. No, I was just drunk. Dude, <laughs> just busy this, being the, drunk. <laughs> we actually awful. met on my lowest of all lows. Like, that was my rock bottom. Wow. You know, we were we were talking. That, that was the beginning of 2016 when my, when my dad died. And, you know, the marriage are gone, and then the dog died. And I was like, when I met her, I was at my rock bottom. And there's, there's stories there that I haven't shared publicly right. that I'll, I'll do in the book. You know, like I said, I'm always overly honest. I, I don't want to get too sappy with you. Holy crap, I love though. animals. But I watched that uh, WWE documentary that they did on you, which was fantastic. Mm. What did your dog mean to you during those hard times? Um... By the way, it was a 13-hour blackout during my... But, um, so this particular dog was more... It was like all I had, you know? And it really wasn't even like... Like, it was a community dog with the ex. Mm -hmm. And so, like, when I'd be in town, she would, like, drop the dog off so the dog would be there when I get home and I could have the dog. It's like visitation type of things. Yeah, but the dog was really scared of me. She was like a little chihuahua. It wasn't like she was like real comfortable with, you know, she definitely preferred, you know, um, her, her mom. And, and, and so, but I was, it was like, she was a rescue. And at first she was so scared. And then we, we built this trust up, you know, and it was like, oh, and I was so proud, like a parent, like, oh, she's getting happy and she's playing and look at her, like she's so vibrant. And then boom, took her to get her, uh, the ex took her to get her teeth cleaned. Boom. Died from oh. the anesthesia. Oh. Totally unexpected. A little four-year-old little puppy that was so happy. It crushed me. It, yeah. That was the only... At the time, you know, when you get depressed, and I know a lot of people can re can relate to this, you can only see what's... You know, you're trapped in, like, this little thing. And I knew there's a whole world of people out there that love me. Everywhere I go, people are going to be excited to see me. But it didn't matter. When I was depressed in my own little bubble... I just felt like there's nothing positive I can reach except for this dog. Right. Mm -hmm. So the dog died, and just like I was saying before, I already had myself mentally set up to be totally fucked because, like, 
that's the last thing. I can't, oh, my God, if that dog dies. Right. And I even had a premonition about it, you know, about the dentist, because I knew the anesthesia was uh, a risk. Yeah. And I had a premonition, and I was like, oh, my God, no. If that happens, I don't even know if I'll want to live. So, of course, when it happens, you know, instead of having myself with my guard up, you know, ready to take that next shot, I felt like I, I was just ripped open saying, here's my heart. Here's everything, you know, can I make anything easier for you to hurt me? That's how I felt. So is it fair to say that Katie kind of saved your life? Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's fair to kind of say that. And I and I, I never like wanted to die, but I did have the conversation like, you know, how much worse could all of my peers feel when they decide to take their lives? Like how much, you know, how much more pain could there be? I, you know, and I was like, do I want to do that? But I was like, no, there was never a time yeah. where I was like, yeah, I want to do that. So. So there was that, you know, and I knew that I was going to get over this. I knew that I was going to get out of my bubble and things would get good again. I had no idea that, you know, I could be as happy as I am now because, you know, Katie and, you know, like I said, when I was 27, everything then, I was so inexperienced. That was like the best of life I'd had back then. But at 50, I pretty much know what's good for me in life, what to stay away from. And as you, as we've discussed, I've worked very hard on uh, categorizing my life in such a way so I can be balanced. And so, you know, when, when Katie came along, just took me to new levels. And, you know, people that know me now that say, you know, you, you look way happier than I've ever seen you before. I'm like, I'm, I'm glad you can feel it. I'm glad that I'm emoting that with my vibrations because uh, there's no reason, no reason not to be. Well, I'm God very, bless, very blessed. God bless you both. I love that relationship. Mm -hmm. So we're out of time. We're out we of got time. one last thing. <gasps> what? The Pharaoh's final question. This is where the star of the show comes up with his own question. This is an important one, bro. So you really got to think this one out. Not scripted. He's going to ask a question and just have at it. Well, question number one, would you like to smoke a bowl with me? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, this one, all right, you know what, it ain't going to be, it ain't going to be a wrestling question. It's going to be, you've mentioned spiritual many times during this interview. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to hit you with a heavy one. What is God to Rob Van Dam? Is it the, is it the books we've read as growing up? Is it, you know, I know that you're, you know, the Zen thing, you know, what, what, what is God to Rob Van Dam? Excellent question. The unknown higher power. I love it. People are afraid to admit that they don't know something, and it take that's. There's a lot of strength in knowing that you don't knowing what you don't know. There's so much strength in that. Sure. And people always got to feel like uh, they find an answer. You know. Oh no, I know what happens after you die. No, you don't. So, um, you know, I believe in a higher power. Uh, I know I have a relationship with what I call the universe. Mm -hmm. And I think that for some people, they could interchange uh, the label on that with their version and, and, and call it God, you know. But to sit here and say, you know, God did this and this 6,000 years ago, right. and he said this and this. Right. How are we going to know that, you know? And, I, but, and even, you know, whether it's can even relate to any physical aspects of a sex you know being a he or she who knows but i just know that there is an energy there's like a web of energy um that connects everything all right like if you look through a microscope there's proof you mm. see all the little sure boom all the atoms moving around and, mm. and that is in the air it's between us and when you think about it everything is coming to us through our senses but that's us touching it 
through the web. You know, I hear you because the voice waves that are traveling, that, that's the same thing the way everything works. Mm -hmm. You know, seeing, feeling the sun's heat, it's all just that energy, that web of energy. And, and when something happens here, if you study synchronicities, you really get a, a, a deeper insight as to how something can happen here and on the other side of the planet at the exact same time. You could be thinking about your friend in Japan while he's dialing your number, and there's a reason. Mm -hmm. and, and I've built my relationship uh, over the last several years and will continue to do so with, with, with that, that energy that, that can't be described in terms that you, that could be um, articulable for most people to to comprehend, and it's that, and that's where the faith comes in in knowing that you don't completely understand it. But uh, I definitely uh, have a good relationship with it, and uh, and so does Katie. So does Katie. Uh, we we have synchronicities all the time, and we point them out, and we're aware of them. Sometimes we try to figure it out. You know that wouldn't have happened if this hadn't happened before, mm. and and then you can get to the chicken or the egg manifestation kind of, you know, kind of uh, perspective if you want to. All right. So where are you guys going to be upcoming? You're in Comac. I know at the Wrestling Universe in about an hour and a half or so. Uh, where else are you guys uh, traveling? So tomorrow's the ECW Arena convention all day, and then a match tomorrow night. Um, Matt Hardy's going to be there. I don't know who else is going to be there. I think Bully Ray's going to be there, right? Yep, 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 yep. Real quick, opinions on Bully Ray. Is he really a good guy, or is he really the, the persona that he puts out there? Um, I think he's got a good balance of both in him, you know? Um, I think he's a good guy. N now, I, ha I can see a lot more of my peers is good people now because I don't have that competitive spirit in me. But when I was in the dressing room with all these guys, I had to, I was in a different frame of mind where I was like, hey, fuck that guy, fuck that guy. And Sabu got me like that too. You know, we'd stay together, we'd have our own clique. We'd say, so and so thinks they're good, but they're not, and this and that. Mm. I'm so glad to be out of that frame of mind because that, that it wasn't peaceful, right? It was, but you don't want to be peaceful if you're fighting. Right. Those are, yeah. contradicting elements sure, so sure. um so now I, I look at it people that i didn't get along and even bubba like a, a lot of times uh when, when sabu and i would wrestle the dudleys you know a lot of times we'd you know we'd we'd be hating on bubba devon was the cooler dudley of course bubba would be the dick on purpose to the fans and everybody but that's got to come out from from somewhere in him like he's really comfortable being the bossy guy and, and yelling at people, but he's also um, a really good guy, which which I've come to notice, and, and now can focus on a lot more than I could when we were punching each other in the face. Gotcha. We used to literally get in a shoot punch fight every night in the ring. I heard, I heard that. I heard okay. that was like shoot. Yeah. Uh, I kind of wish you would knock this head off. One of us would catch the other one, and then it'd be like receipt, harder receipt, harder, harder, and we would just go. Bam! And either one of them, I'm not going to sell it. Hit me hard as you can, you know, because yeah. we have something to prove. Wow. <laughs> Bam! Oh, yeah? Bam! Every night. All right. This has been an incredible interview. We want to thank you both for joining us. Uh, again, we wish you the best of luck in your future thank endeavors, you. and we're looking forward to seeing you travel the Northeast. Jimmy, you got any last words for the fans out there? I just hope that they enjoyed our time with RVD, and I want to say thank you very much, Rob. You are in my top five all time. Awesome. Favorite wrestler, and uh, as far as I'm concerned, we just got done interviewing. This is me, though, so you can make fun oh, of me well, for weeks now after this. We just got done interviewing the greatest in-ring performer wrestler that I have ever watched. 
Over Sh- over Shawn Michaels. Yeah, over Shawn Michaels. Wow. Yeah, you heard wow. me. Look at that. Yeah, you heard well, that's me. That's a major compliment. Yeah, you heard me. Yeah, he was more well-rounded. Sorry about that, Shawn. I might have to. I, I might have to agree with you. Don't on that. lose your smile, Shawn. <laughs> well, uh, with that, you've been watching. It's all about image, so I'm glad I had put that image out there. You did. <laughs> the whole effing show. I want to thank you for joining Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast. This is Mike Monty. This is the Pharaoh. And until next time, later. <laughs>